this whole journey. So, uh, Lisa, you're going to come up and take us to the next level in this journey of becoming emotionally healthy. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a real case with me. I don't know about the rest of the folks here, but uh, anyway, Lisa <clears throat> Mooney. Hi. You can hear me, right? Good. Hey. Uh, I was joking around with Rick this morning uh, as we were preparing and they were getting the sound and everything. And I said, you know, I got the, the whammies this morning. The clocks move back. It's raining. Look at the topic. I'm like, nobody's going to come. <laughs> this would be like the one Sunday where oh, I'm going to skip this one and sleep in. Uh, I thought about it. <laughs> so... Um, We've been doing this Emotionally um, Healthy Spirituality. Uh, This is part five in our series. And this is about as uh, heavy as it gets. Um, Jay did an excellent job talking about going through the wall. And just kind of to recap for you, we talked about how um, important it is to be emotionally healthy in your spirituality. Uh, We talked about how Saul is not a picture of that and the damage that it did in his life. We talked about um, showing the picture of David and how David was able to break through by knowing himself and and what God had given him. And then, you know, we go through and and we have this piece with the, the wall that Jay talked about last week. And what I liked about what he talked about was he just didn't say that you're stuck there. There is actually a journey and a process of getting through to the other side of the wall. That being said, this is actually, I think, a piece that goes with the wall because it often happens while you're in and faced with the wall because you're facing with your your losses, and your griefs. Now, this is not my favorite topic, but it is in my my wheelhouse because, you know, quite honestly, we all experience loss and we all have grief in our life. We've all lost somebody. In fact, the minute that we are born, we start going backwards, if you will. Um, We start losing a little bit of us here and there along the way, along the journey of life. And... In the journey of life, we've gotten bad advice. So I want to start out with a piece that Bill Hybels wrote about bad grieving instructions. And what's interesting is they're all well-intentioned. But we've all experienced this. We've had people say these very things to us. So imagine Johnny. Johnny's five years old. Johnny has a a puppy that he loves dearly. He he goes out in the backyard and he plays with it. It follows him around. It sleeps at the foot of his bed. But Johnny's dog dies. Johnny doesn't understand yet what it means to have something gone, to have it lost. And he's crying. Johnny's hysterical. And his dad, being well-intentioned, said, Johnny, it's okay. We'll just get you another dog. Well, that's the first grief lesson that society teaches us is that we are to bury our feelings and replace the loss. So Johnny is growing up. Johnny is now in high school. And Johnny has a freshman girlfriend. He's madly in love. The world can't be any more fantastic than the day she dumps him. Then it's a Greek tragedy. (laughs) Mom... And I have said this, well-intentioned says, it's okay, Johnny. 
there's other fish in the sea. You'll get over it. There'll be somebody else. Right? I've said that to one of my own sons. I won't say who. Don't want to incriminate them. But here's lesson two. Bury your pain and again replace the loss. Something else will come along. So now much later, as Johnny's getting older, his grandfather dies. Now at this point, he's, he slipped a note at school, and he reads the note at school, and he starts crying. Dad comes to pick him up to school to take him home so they can grieve, if you will. And when they get home, Mom is crying in the living room. Johnny wants to go and hug his mom. He wants to console her. He wants to be consoled. But Dad says, no, don't go bother her right now. She needs to grieve alone. She needs to be by herself. She'll be fine in a little bit, and then you can talk to her. Well, see, that's lesson number three. We grieve alone. So let's review. Society teaches us to bury our feelings, to replace our losses, to grieve alone. Oh, by the way, time will heal. Eventually, it'll go away and you'll feel better. But in doing so, we live with regret and we never trust again. And that's been society's approach for years. But you see, recovering from loss is tied to our feelings. When our feelings, when we don't admit them, when we don't face them, when we don't process them, they are concealed. And withheld feelings lead to being brittle, lead to being vulnerable, and we end up with distorted perceptions. Failure to grieve can set a person up for failure in their life. Behaviors like depression, anxiety, denial, avoidance, and many other healthy inactivities. And psychologists say that the more the ungrieved losses, the more powerful the internal tension is that the individual experience when they have a new loss. In other words, all of the baggage that they had before, when a new loss occurs, that new loss seems even greater to them. It's kind of like being divorced and getting remarried. When you're divorced, if you have never grieved and gone through the process of the loss of your marriage and, and the things that happened to you because of that as a result, you sometimes carry that baggage into your new marriage. What that looks like is, let's say you have a fight. You're not getting along with your spouse. <clears throat> your reaction might be when you fight to think this is the end. Oh my gosh, he's going to walk out that door. You see, we carry on with what we first experienced and those emotions of that event that we first experienced, and we project it on to something else. And we do that with lots of other ways and pieces in our life, depending on the event. The unfortunate part is these distorted perceptions also we project on God. If our parent was absent or demanding, or any host of number of things, angry, quick to punish, then we sometimes feel that that's the way God is. 
When things get difficult, we think he's absent. He's not there. He's not there to help me. Maybe you had demanding parents that, that wanted perfection. Those kids grow up wanting to please people. They want to please God. And so they're all about what can I do? If I do this, then the Lord will be happy with me. I know I've done it. So why don't we take the time to grieve? I mean, if this is so important, if this affects our life, why don't we do it? Well, if you're like me, if you have, you're a parent and you have kids and you're working a job, sometimes you just feel like it has to be shoved. You don't have the time or the luxury to deal with it. You feel overloaded with your responsibilities. So you delay it. You think, oh, I'll get to it. It's there, and you know about it, but it's sitting back here. Or maybe guilt blocks it. There is such a thing called survivor grief. You know, if you were in a car accident and, and your friend died, but you survived, the guilt of why, why did I make it through, that happens to people. Sometimes we resist going through the process of grieving because we think that bringing up that painful thing that we experienced in the past is more painful than what we're going through right now. I couldn't deal with it then. Why would I deal with it now? It's too painful. This event is not as painful as this event, and so we resist doing it. One of the big ones, the ones that I suffered through, was I didn't want to lose control. My growing up, and I kind of mentioned it the last time I was up here, is if you cried, my dad said, don't cry or I'll give you a reason to cry. So that's the kind of household I was at. If something was, if I was being punished or that sort of thing, I was not allowed to react. I was not allowed to question. I was supposed to take it like a wall and pretend that nothing happened. So I was not allowed to react. And so as you get older, that concept just is like, well, I'm just going to pick up my bootstraps and go on no matter what, right? No matter what, how deep in the mud you are, you're going to pick yourself up and move on. Because that's the way life is. That's how I was brought up. You see, our past experience can lead to deep wounds. And then our deep wounds lead to dysfunctional behaviors. And then our dysfunctional behaviors lead and project us to make distorted perceptions about God. You see, we can know what the Bible says. We can have a full download of information, but we can sometimes not live it. And that's called cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance is understanding and knowing that God in his word says that he loves me, says that he is always with me, says that he will be the God of all comfort and peace. But cognitive dissonance says that even though I know that, I'm going to avoid going through my losses and griefs because it's too much. It's too painful. We deal instead with pain by addictions or numbing ourselves or minimizing the pain or denying that it happened Forgetting that it happened, sometimes that's a safety mechanism for um, children of abuse. We become hostile, we avoid. And a big one, what I used to do, is try to comfort myself. Well, let's go have a big plate of mashed potatoes and fried chicken, <laughs> and then have some ice cream afterwards, and then go see a movie. Total comfort things that make me feel better. 
because I don't want to think about this. Those are symptoms of false self. And so here we go. We've come full circle. You understand now why our past plays into the present and why not taking care of these situations can lead and bleed into our lives, and then we leak these things out. Just like that stuffed drawer I talked about, we can try to stuff it and hide it, but eventually it's going to leak out and spill all over us. Another issue is that we can have initial losses, but then there's a secondary loss. You see, if you experience a death in the family and and you're the spouse, There's a secondary loss, not just the the fact that the person is gone, but now their routine is no longer the same. They're lonely. Their sense of belonging is gone. If you lost a job, it's not just a monetary thing that you lost, but your stature, your security. These are secondary losses that also happen to us. So Peter Scazzaro talks about the next process is learning to fall. So we, we see that we have these losses. We know that we have these events in our life, and we have to deal with them. But how do we do that? Now, falling is not something that we willingly choose to do. A lot of us do it on accident, just saying. Um, but he talks about a gentleman that um, is diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease or ALS. And ALS is also known as amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. Sclerosis. I can't say it. Sclerosis. There you go. What it actually means is no muscle nourishment. And the motor neurons that are in um, go from the brain to the muscles start basically wasting away. And the person loses muscle control. And so simple things like reaching for a phone or walking become impossible, and they actually start falling. So it's known as a falling disease. And then he includes um, this piece from Nicholas Wolsterstoff. He's a Yale professor and a theologian who experienced um, having lo- losing his son. And so he writes a lament for his son. After his 25-year-old son, Eric, was killed in a mountain climbing accident. This is what he wrote. Eric was bursting with plans. Now it's all gone. All the rich future he held, gone in those tumbling seconds. Nothing fills the void of his absence. He's not replaceable. You can't go out and get another one just like him. There's a hole in the world now. In the place where he was, there is now just nothing. Only a gap remains. Please don't say it's not really so bad because it's death. It's awful and it's demonic and I cannot fit it all together by saying I can only endure with Job. I do not know why God did not prevent Eric's death. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I also believe my son's life was cut off in its prime. I cannot fit these pieces together. I'm at a loss. And to the most agonizing question I have ever asked, and I do not know the answer, I do not know why God would watch him fall. I don't know why God would watch me. The process of falling. Philip Simmons, the gentleman that was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease, 
wrote a piece before he died called Learning to Fall. And he says, as a culture, we've accomplished a lot by seeing life as a set of problems to be solved. We've invented new medicines. We've gone to the moon. We've developed new computers, new technologies. We perceive problems, and we set about solving them. You know, like eight successful ways to have a successful marriage. But here's where we go wrong, he says. For all at its deepest level, life is not a problem, but a mystery. Did you catch that? He says life is not a problem, but a mystery. True mysteries are not something to be solved. I wish I could have learned this lesson more easily, he says. Each of us is brought to the cliff's edge. At such moments, we can either back away in bitterness or confusion or leap forward into the mystery. We hand ourselves over. We can participate in mystery, mystery only by letting go of the solutions. This letting go is the first lesson of falling, and it's the hardest. See, this is the part that, it, that is, is it's a tough piece for people to buy. Because, you see, even in our church culture, we try to explain away everything. We try to have an answer to every solution. In fact, when I was growing up, when, when I was taught when things were happening, and this was in a Pentecostal church out in Texas, that if things were going on in my life and they were bad, it was because I had sin in my life. That's what the connection was. And so at that point, it didn't matter no, how, no matter how much good I did or how hard I worked because of having demanding parents that trying to please God, it was never enough. It was never enough. But see, that's a lie. It's not true. You know, our church culture says that we have to have it all together, especially leaders. Well, let me tell you, that's not true either. The truth is there are some things that we don't know. And there is a level of spiritual maturity that we have to come to get to in knowing that we don't have all the answers. And what that does is it causes us to have to depend on God, on to lean in to what we don't understand, even if the road is bumpy, and trust that we are in his hands. What I'd like to do is uh, turn to Matthew 26. And if you have Bibles, I believe it's on page 691. And we're going to start reading through um, Matthew 26, verse 36. Now, as I mentioned then, uh, you know, some things are a mystery. And throughout the Bible, God has revealed himself, and he's revealed himself in Jesus But there are times even when God seems absent. But Jesus is the perfect model of how learning to fall, how learning, I didn't mention this yet, but interruptions. We can call griefs and losses. Peter Cicero calls them interruptions in our life. They're bumps on the road. They interrupt our plans of life. You know, we don't don't plan our life around somebody dying. We don't plan our life around losing a job or whatnot. These things just happen. So, but Jesus is the perfect model here, and I want to read through what he does. 
So he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. It says, Then Jesus went to his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to the disciples, and he found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. So throughout this passage, there's a couple key pieces to remember. First of all, when we're, when we're talking about learning to fall and Jesus being the model of that, what Peter Cazero is getting at is that Jesus was fully human. There are um, people back in the time who were known as agnostics who used to say that there's no way that Jesus could be fully human and fully God. Instead, Jesus was not fully human. He was just God, and he just kind of put on a human suit, if you will, and walked through this life. So he didn't really have, feel pain. He didn't really, you know, it was just sort of like us. Well, that's not true. Jesus was fully human. And you can look at that by the very words that the disciples used to describe the scene at Gethsemane. They don't clean it up for you. You see, Jesus is sorrowful. He is depressed. He is overwhelmed to the point of death. They don't clean it up for you and make Jesus out to be some superhuman Captain America guy that gets through it and bites the bullet. Jesus actually has to go through this painful walk, and Jesus is prostrate on the ground. Lord, three times he says, Lord, do I have to do this? Is this really necessary? You see, because the fully God is now going to be fully human, taking on the sins of the world. He who was not sin became sin for us. And he takes on the full punishment, the full humiliation of being stripped from his clothes. He is beaten. He is battered. He knows full well what is coming his way. And see, the key here, the thing that Peter brings out in his writings, and it's more in the chapter of the book where he expounds on it, is that Jesus didn't get his miracle here. And neither do we. Jesus had to walk this road. In fact, it says that the heart of Christianity is the way, I'm sorry, the heart of Christianity is that the way to life is death. The pathway to resurrection is through crucifixion. Jesus had to go through this. We have to go through our own process of falling. 
Now, he models it in such a way that he goes before the Lord every time he goes before the Lord. He doesn't stuff his emotions. He lets it out. In fact, um, I've got it for you here in the outline. It says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. He learns obedience from what he suffered. He says, not my will, but your will be done. And in doing so, he's basically giving up control. He's saying, okay, do it your way, Lord. You see, our way would be to um, try to replace the emotion that's going on or, or get out of it somehow or to stop the process because we don't want to deal with it. I think of it like we're, we're falling down, uh, let's say, a shaft, and instead of letting us fall so that we can get to the bottom safely, we're trying to, like, crawl on the edges of the wall, and we're like this, and we're stuck. But that's a bad place to be because you can only hold out for so long. You have to reach to the bottom. You have to face these losses and griefs, events in your life. Jesus wanted out. It's understandable. I mean, he was facing death, punishment beyond our real comprehension of punishment. We hear about it. We talk about it. Few of us have gone through and lived through it. So that being said, we have this image of Jesus going to the Father, Jesus praying and bringing his emotions, his real, raw emotions. He's overwhelmed to the Lord. He, lo- he, he gives up control. Not, your, not my will, but your will, Lord. And in doing so, for us, as Jesus being the model, we can see where it actually enlarges our soul. You see, what loss does in our heart is actually create space for the Lord to come in and fill it. There's something to be said about, um, I think I've said this before, and I'm just trying to be real candid with you, that... The Lord treats us kind of like an onion. The Lord's not going to take all the events in your life and ball them all up and serve it to you on a platter and say, you have to swallow this onion. What he's going to do is he's going to take layer off and he's going to cut it down for you and he's going to serve it to you. And he's going to say, I can do this with you. We can do this together. Come on now. Now, when I was in my group last week, I said, you know, this is one of those things. I had a rough time living through the process when I was doing it because one of my cognitive dissonance, knowing what to do but not really wanting to do it, and gosh, just um, trying to collect myself here because this is uh, not easy. He doesn't want to leave you the same way. And I think it's important as part of this piece that we understand how we can walk through the process. This isn't a fun thing to do, but it's a necessary thing to do. And so in the group last week, I had this picture, which I told them about, of being a little girl and, and um, actually an event happened when I was younger where I was running on the blacktop. I was probably eight or nine years old. And it was slick out, and I fell like this. Well, somebody else fell on top of me, and I actually bit through 
um, my chin here, and I was a bloody mess, and the gum line receded, the whole nine yards. So I was in danger of losing teeth, and someone scooped me up, and I remembered um, doing this, but I had forgotten all about it. And when we were reading through this process, we, were, we got to the part about the wall and that sort of thing, and I'm like, yeah, I've been through walking this process of... Um, going through um, the losses and griefs through um, my relationship with my mom, which was pretty rocky. And I had this picture of being held down by my dad while the doctor is trying to stitch me up. This is that process. You see, I, my parents, anybody that loves you, your father, your heavenly father, when you get wounded, is not going to want to leave you that way because only more damage will come from it. But he's going to do the hard, necessary work of holding you down so that you can receive the care that you need so that you can heal properly. And that can be fearful. It can seem like it's going to be even more painful than what just happened to you. But in the end, you walk away healed, fixed, repaired, and a better person through going through it all. And because you know your father was there. That your father cared enough to make sure that you were there. Because it's difficult for him, too, to see you suffer. I think that's what we don't get. Jesus was full of emotion. God is full of emotion. He loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. And he's concerned because he doesn't want you to live broken. He doesn't want those areas to suffer and do damage because you're not only doing damage to yourself. Think about it, moms and dads. You're doing damage to your children if you don't help yourself. And they just carry the legacy on over and over and over again. That being said, I wanted to insert this part about um, how prayer works. Here at the Vineyard, um, John Lieb is very close friends with uh, Terry Wardle. We often have Terry Wardle come through, and he does a model called the healing care process. And I've included, um, under how prayer works, basically the necessary steps that you go through as a, as a supplement to this piece. Because it's important to know how to walk through the process. Um, you know, the word says that we are to build each other up. We are to encourage one another because we're all on journeys, and some of us are further along in the journey than others. Some of us have been there in the deep valleys facing our losses and grief, grief, and we've come out on the other side, but there's some people that are still stuck there. And it's our job as a community and as a body of believers to come alongside these people and help them walk through this process. Um... So you can see here, it says um, we, we bring it before the Lord first. So the, the actual event that you had, you think of one single event. So I just want you to close your eyes. We're just going to do a little practicum, if you will. Just close your eyes. All right. So, Lord, I just ask, um, I'm just going to ask the Lord to be here. Lord, Holy Spirit, come fill this room. So I just want you right now to think of just the first thing that comes to your mind as a loss or grief. You want your eyes closed? Just maybe the first thing. Don't, you don't have to search hard or anything. It could be something simple, really. 
All right. Now, take this event and act like it's in your hand. And I want you to just put it in your, act like you have it in your hand and just like hold it out for the Lord. Now, maybe you're not really sure what all of this represents. You don't know all your secondary losses or, or why this loss may, uh, why you hurt over it so much. And we just ask the Holy Spirit right now, Holy Spirit, would you help us identify that feeling, what this is, Lord? Just bring it before you, Lord. Help identify the wound, Lord. Now that you have this, I just want you to close your hand and, and kind of bring your hand into your body and just take a moment to grieve that loss. It's okay. Lord, we want to be honest with the Lord about how this felt. We want to be honest with maybe how you reacted to it. But now I want the Holy Spirit to come and tell you what the truth is. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would bring to light Scripture that you would say your peace over your people, reveal your great love for them. Lord, these are your sons, your daughters, Lord. Oh, how you love them. So, Lord, we just give these losses to you, Jesus. Well, Lord, we ask that you take them. We willingly give them up to you, Lord. And even if it's hard for us, we ask that you help us, Lord. Holy Spirit, when we are weak, you are strong. Your word says that you love us. Your word says that you care about us and that you were willing to fall for us, Lord. So help us in the process of falling, give it to you. Lord Jesus, the person that is responsible for this hurt that, or that caused the hurt for us, Lord, we extend forgiveness in the name of Jesus. Lord, stand in the gap for us where we are weak, where we cannot do it, where we struggle to do it, Lord, we ask that you stand in the gap and we extend forgiveness in the name of Jesus and we choose to act on forgiveness. You can open your eyes. So this is what you would do in a practical way with every event. Now, it's not to say that every time you get a fender bender or that sort of thing that you need to stop and go do this process. What it is saying, though, that things come up. And you probably know those things more than you're willing to say. You know, whether you had a difficult relationship as a child with one of your parents, whether um, you were humiliated in school, Whatever, whatever the situation was, those things are there in our lives. And sometimes we have to realize a symptom like one of our false selves and trace it back and realize, why am I acting like this? What is triggering this emotion? And then walk through the steps back. And maybe you need a loved one to come alongside you and say, hey, you know, I can help you. And because this process is better done with a close confidant or in a group. And um, not to be clinical, but I, I wanted to give you one more piece, and that is, is share a little bit of an experience that I had not, uh, recently. Um, my, I have two younger brothers, and one of my brothers um, is engaged, and he came up in December and brought his fiance, and I got to meet them. And we were having a really nice dinner over at the Ocean Club, uh, one of my favorite restaurants. And um, I was uh, eating dinner and everything, and they had asked me if I would be the one to perform their wedding. I still haven't set a date yet. I was actually trying to back out of doing it. I actually told them, you know what, I, I would really just like to come to the wedding, enjoy myself, you know, be a spectator, not be in it. 
And uh, Amy, his fiancée, she's like, well, why would you want to do that? Don't you know, you're, you know, my, your, your brother thinks the world of you, and, and we would love to have you do this. And she goes, but, you know, i got to ask you a question. And I said, well, what's that? She goes, you're so different than your mom. She goes, I, I've heard all kinds of things, and so I expected you to be different, but you're not, you're, you, then you are. You're so nice. <laughs> like, well, that's nice because I'm buying dinner. <laughs> But it kind of threw me, and I, I didn't really expound on it too much, but then we were talking more, and um, she said, you know, because um, your brothers told me all the things your mom did to you. So it was like, hold the phone, what? <laughs> you know, I'm trying to enjoy my dinner here, and, you know, here comes something from my past kind of raising its ugly head, if you will, and I'm trying to put the kibosh on it because we're here having a nice dinner at Ocean Club. <laughs> and she said, I don't, I don't understand how you could be the way you are, how you still send your mom birthday gifts. You still sent her flowers on her birthday, and, and you still send her Christmas gifts. And, but I hear your mom nah, 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 over here about you. And I just I had tears going down my eyes. And I said, you know what? It's because I'm not the same person. And I was able to walk with them what God had done for me. You see, I'm not the same person because my mom used to just um, verbally abuse me and physically hit me and that sort of thing. I can remember walking or coming in from youth group. I was 15 minutes late, and I got cold-cocked when I walked in the front door. When I was nine, she brought one of my brothers in the room and me and said, you know, there's a fine line between love and hate, and I love your brother, and, well, you can figure out the rest. She actually said that. She wanted to kick me out when I was 16. Um, it was rough. And so to kind of give you an idea of the process, I spent... I moved to Denver, and I was basically dropped off, and I had to fend for myself. I got a job. I was going to Bible college part-time, but I was extremely lonely. I got married because I felt needed. He had a daughter from a previous marriage, and he was kind of a mess. And I thought, oh, I can just jump right in. I, I know how to take care of people. That went badly. And then because it went badly, I thought it was damaged goods. So... He threatened me, and I moved from Denver and moved up here. After I moved up here, like I said, I felt like I was damaged goods. I just pretty much dated anybody and anything, and looked, anybody that gave me an ounce of attention, anybody that would look my way, I was all over it. Because I thought that's what love was. And I ended up pregnant. I ended up drinking a lot. I ended up doing a lot of things I shouldn't do, and I have an abortion. I had convinced myself that because I had no real relationships that I was justified in doing this because I would be a horrible mother to this child. I had no voice, but I made the choice to do this terrible thing. And when I did that, I made things so much worse for myself. They don't tell you when you have an abortion the psychological damage that you're doing to yourself as well. You see, it's a very selfish decision, but it plays out in other ways. 
because you think you're doing the right thing, but you're not. And I suffered, and, and, and for years, actually, after becoming a Christian, after coming here to Vineyard, once we found the Vineyard, um, and I had met Steve, and um, I think I, was, I just had Mason, who's now 18. When I came here, it, it finally made sense. I felt like I was home. I felt, I mean, it was, it, the, the typical crying when you come and you worship. It's like we should be known as the crying vineyard. But God started working on me slowly. And I started realizing then that some of these decisions, some of these things, I had let play out in my life because I had never dealt with my childhood. I had never dealt with not feeling loved, feeling rejected. I had not done with those things. And my parents were very demanding, and so I just thought, I just need to make everybody like me. And how I made everybody like me was to do everything I could think of for them. So when I started working here, I started working back in the nursery, and then I started um, fixing the chairs in here and, and fixing the pens and the pockets back in here. And then I would clean. And I'd, I ended up doing, I've done just about every job here with the exception of Rick's job here at this vineyard. And back in 2006, I actually had back surgery. And I want to tell you, I was on 2,000 milligrams of Vicodin. I was on Lyrica. I was on some other medication. And I was going to school, working here, and raising kids. I was trying to function, and it wasn't until God put me flat on my back that I stopped and realized, I can't do this this way. I am doing damage to myself. It is eating me from the inside out. And that's when the light bulb went on that I've got to do something about this. And that's when I started walking through the process. We didn't have this healing care model at the time. But I kind of, looking back and looking through the steps, I now realize what I was doing. I'd wake up when the kids were still sleeping and go downstairs and just cry before the Lord. And I would, I would just, I would write things down. I was journaling to some extent, but I was just, there's so much pain. But little by little, he started releasing me from the pain. And there were moments where... Even as an adult, and my kids will tell you this, you know, we'd, we'd go over to Chili's and we'd be driving up to Chili's and my mom would see us and she would run away and lock herself in the car. Or they would do drive-bys, they wouldn't come over, they'd leave stuff on the front porch and I'd come out to say hi and she would drive off. And my kids would come to me and hug me and say, Mom, you know, what's up with that? I have forgiven my mom. I love my mom. And what I can tell you now is that I know the things that she did, she did out of her own brokenness because she never grieved her losses. She never grieved from the way her parents treated her. And she just projected and passed that down onto me. I know that now. It's still a process. It's still a process. We're at dinner, and my brother re- reminds me that of some incident um, that happened to me that I had completely forgotten about. And as soon as he said it, I knew what room it happened in, how it happened, when it was, and what she said. She had taken a, um, a dictionary, and she was hitting me over the head with the dictionary, telling me I was stupid. You know what? God loves me. The truth is, God loves me. 
The truth is that's not the real picture of love. The truth is the picture of love is the father holding me down while he heals this part of my soul, deep down. So that's what I wanted to share with you. It's not easy, but I am not the same person. I wouldn't be up here sharing with you if that wasn't the case. I wouldn't be going out of my way to teach my boys to live a godly life, to love one another, to forgive one another, if that wasn't the case. So that being said, why don't we all stand up, and we're going to do communion here. I don't like to be just clinical. I think this is too important to just give you a set of information. I think you need to know that it is real-life stuff. Um, so, do we have the people that can share the elements? Can they come up front? Anybody? <laughs> Thank you. Okay. So we're going to pray. We're going to do the elements. And if you feel like you need prayer, we do